Hey everybody, this is Lucas from Coastal Vineyard. Just wanted to say thank you for downloading this podcast or maybe picking up a CD after service. We love you and we are praying for you. We believe that your best days are yet to come. So expect the best. We hope that this message inspires you and moves your faith into action. So sit back and enjoy. One, and if you've ever read Job chapter one, this guy has the worst day in pretty much anyone's life ever. I mean, he loses everything. He was, it, the Bible says that he was a well-respected man. He was famous in his country, and everybody knew who he was. And all of a sudden, in a matter of a day, all of his cattle and livestock get destroyed. All of his servants are getting killed and slaughtered. And then all of a sudden, a tornado comes and destroys the house where his children are at, and all of his children die. And so he is having a really bad day. And at the end of Job chapter 1, it says this. Not once through all of this did Job sin. Not once did he blame God. And so often, how easy is it to have the opposite reaction? How often is it to just want to blame God for, oh, God, why did you let this happen? Why? But this is not how Job reacted. Not once did he sin, but this is what he did to it. It says he, he fell on his face, ripped his robe, shaved his head, and began to worship. So here is this man's reaction to pain and suffering. He's hurting. He's lost his children. He's lost everything, and now he's fallen on the ground, and he has this choice to make. Do I just wither here, or do I choose to worship? And the Bible says that he chooses to worship. And so now we pick up in Job chapter 2. If you don't have it, it will be on your screen. It will be on the screen. Job chapter 2. One day, when the angels came to report to God, Satan also showed up. God singled out Satan, saying, And what have you been up to? Satan answered God. Oh, going here and there, checking things out. Then God said to Satan, Have you noticed my friend Job? There's no one quite like him. There, there's no honest or truer man that's true to his word, totally devoted to God and hating evil. He still has a firm grip on his integrity. You tried to trick me into destroying him, but it didn't work. Satan answered, a human would do anything to save his life. But what would you think would happen if you reached down and took away his health? He'd curse you to your face, that's what. God said, all right. Go ahead. You can do what you like with him, but mind you, don't kill him. Satan left God and struck Job with terrible sores. Job was ulcers and scabs from head to toe. They itched and oozed so bad that he took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself, then went and sat on a trash heap among the ashes. His wife said, still holding on to your precious integrity, are you? Curse God and be done with it. He told her, you're talking like an empty-headed fool. We take the good days from God. Why not also take the bad days? Not once through all of this did Job sin. Did Job sin. He said nothing against God. Job's three friends. Three of Job's friends heard of all the trouble that had fallen on him. Each traveled from his own country, different different guys, together with Job to keep him company and comfort him. Yeah, I'm not going to even try that. If y'all been here from any length of time, I just don't do big words. 
So one or two syllables. This is hard enough to read. So <laughs> when they first caught sight of him, they could hardly believe what they saw. They hardly recognized him. They cried out in a laminate, ripping their clothes and dumping dirt on their heads, a sign of their grief. Then they sat with him on the ground. Seven days and nights they sat without saying a word. They could see how rotten he felt, how deeply he was suffering. Job cries out, what's the point of life? So here we find Job. He has gone through all of this pain and suffering. Now his, his health is being attacked. And here we find this conversation that's taken place between God and Satan. And all different kinds of thoughts are being formed in this conversation. Because first of all, in chapter 1, Satan comes and he says, I know how, I know why man serves you. I know why Job serves you, and I know why everybody else serves you. It's because of all of the stuff that you give him. See how blessed he is? He has all of this cattle and all these things. But if you took away this blessings from him, surely he will curse you. And God says, okay, let's put it to the test. And all of these things begin to happen to Job, and it says not once did Job sin. And so God proves his point. It's not that man serves God because of what God gives him, but man serves God simply because of who he is. And then he comes up, and in chapter 2, there's this other conversation. And now Satan says, well, maybe not you know, might not be because of the stuff, but surely man would do anything because of his own health. If you attack his health, he's going to do anything to save his own life. He's going to curse you. And God says, well, let's see, let's see if that's the fact. And so all of these thoughts are being formed, and if we look at that, we can see how Satan plans to attack us. First, he tries to go after our stuff. If he can't get our stuff, he's trying to go after us. And he has this kind of thinking that says, if I could just get them in pain or in suffering, all of this won't matter, and I could get them to curse God. And God says, I have a different way of thinking. I think that it's not about any of that. It's not about the stuff. It's not even about what uh, their health and what they're going through, but I still think that they will worship me because of simply who I am. And so there is this test that's taking place. And we find Job going through this thing. And all of a sudden, it says this. It says that he goes to a trash dump. And I have a picture of one over here in India. And he's, he's lost everything now, remember. He's lost every, he, he was a very rich man. And he's lost all of his cattle, everything that made him rich. And he goes and he finds this trash dump. And the Bible says, he just went and he sat there because everything else was lost. So I know what I'll do. I'm just going to go sit in the trash. And so he goes and he finds a dump. And you got to remember, he used to live in a house where his yard looked like this. And now he's in a place where his yard looks like this. And he's sitting there among the trash. And everything has been taken away from him. And now all of a sudden, there's these ulcers and these sores all over his body. So much so that when his friends come, they don't even recognize him. So Job is sitting there among the trash. He says, his pain and his suffering is great. And he says, what can I do? And he 
finds this piece of, of pottery. And he says, oh, I know what I could do with that. And he finds a hammer that was invented 2,000 years later. And he says that he finds this broken piece of pottery. And he begins to scrape his skin with it. Because his ulcers and sores are bleeding so bad that even his fingernails aren't breathing, bringing any comfort. Needless to say, he's in a lot of pain. And so here is one of the most well-respected men in all of the land sitting among the trash, covered in ulcers. His wife is approaching him and telling him, still holding on to your integrity, why don't you just curse God? And that's the best that she could come up with as he's scraping himself with a piece of broken pottery. And so all of a sudden, his three friends arrive, and they sit with him, and they just sit there. And it says they sit in silence for seven days. And at this point, I would say these are the best kind of friends that you could have. Friends that will simply sit with you as he scrapes the sores on his body. And then all of a sudden, after this time has passed, it says Job broke the silence. And Job just lets it all out. God, why was I even born? It says this. It says, Lord, that you would even rip this date off of the calendar. The day that I was born, rip it off. Delete it from the almanac. You've turned the night into pure nothingness. No sounds of pleasure from the night ever. May those who are good at cursing curse this day. Unleash the beast from the sea. May the morning stars turn into black cylinders. He's like, man, I've just had enough. And so for all of chapter 3, he's just basically saying, God, what is going on? What is happening? What is the point of this? What is the point of life when nothing makes sense, when all roads to meaning are blocked? Have you ever had this type of moment? moment? Maybe not quite like Job, but just when you've just had enough and you just kind of let it all out. Lord, why? I don't understand what is going on. And here is where everything takes a turn. Job's let it all out, and then at chapter 4, his friends begin to speak. Would you mind if I'd said something? Under the circumstances, it just seems hard to keep quiet. Under these circumstances, if any time, this is when you should be quiet. But I just have to say something. You yourself, Job, have done this plenty of times. You've spoken words to clarify things, encouraged others who were about to quit. What, what words have put, put stumbling people on their feet and put fresh hope into people that were about to collapse? But now you're the one in trouble. You're hurting. You've been hit hard, and you're reeling from the blow. But 
shouldn't your devout life give you confidence now? Shouldn't your exemplary life give you hope? And so he's saying all this, and he says this, think, has a truly innocent person ever ended up on the scrap heap? Do genuine people ever lose out in the end? It's my observation that those who plow evil or sow trouble turn, turn and then so reap evil and trouble. What he's saying here, he's saying basically this, the reason why you're like this is because of something you've done. It's your fault that you're now where you're at, sitting in the trash with sores and ulcers all over your body. And so now we have three different types of theologies here. One, we have God's theology about man. And God's theology about man says this, that man will worship me no matter what. Not because of any of the blessings I've given him, not even because of health, but he'll simply worship me because of who I am. And then we have Satan's way of thinking. Satan says this. Satan says, I know how I could get uh, human beings to curse God. I'll take away their blessings or I'll take away their health. And now we have man's theology about man. Job's friends come in and they're saying, well, the reason why all of this is happening is because of something you have done. There must be sin in your life. Three completely different ways of thinking. God's way of thinking, Satan's way of thinking, man's way of thinking. How often time is our life wanting to divert to man's way of thinking? Because man's way of thinking basically says this, there has to be someone to blame. Something has gone wrong, and it's because of something you did. When the fact of the matter is Job has done nothing. But after all, look at where he's at now. Job, you must have done something wrong. We love to blame people. We love to look at the concurrent condition of people's suffering and come up with a reasoning, well, they must have done something wrong. Have we ever reacted like that when we've seen other people's in life? Have we ever looked at the homeless man on the street and said, yeah, must have been addicted to alcohol, or if I just give him a few bucks, he's just going to go buy more drugs. Because there's this kind of thinking that, hey, that's, that must be the way it is. There must be something to blame for this person's circumstances. Someone is going through this. Well, there must be something to blame. And all of a sudden, then his friend says this, a word came to me in secret, a mere whisper of a word, and I heard it clearly. It came to me in a scary dream one night. I had fallen asleep. And this spirit kind of glided in front of me, and it was a very muffled voice. And then he said this, how can mere mortals be more righteous than God? How can humans be purer than their creator? Which is the equivalent of a modern-day version of someone coming up to you and saying this. They, they're your friend, they're a follower of Christ, and they come up to you in the midst of your pain and your suffering and say, I have a word for you. I've heard God speak. And let me just tell you how important this word is. It was in this dream, and it was very, very important. So listen very carefully to what I'm going to say. And then they say this, can mere mortals be more righteous than God? How can humans be purer than their creator? Basically, he's saying, your righteousness, God's righteousness, and this is the reason why you are where you are. 
And is what he's saying correct? Yeah. Are he, is God more righteous? Absolutely. Is, is his prophetic word into this man's life correct? Yes. Is it wrong? Absolutely. You could say the right thing at the wrong time and be dead wrong. Imagine going up to someone that's in the midst of all of this pain and this suffering and have lost their children. Imagine this morning someone gets the news and all of your children have died, one of your friends, and you find them down the street sitting in the trash dump scraping their skin because there's now ulcers all over their bodies and your response to them is, I have a word for you. God's more righteous. You're saying the right thing at the wrong time. And so all of his friends want to give this explanation and they want to assign blame. They want to figure out exactly why things are. Is it true? Yes. Is it comforting? No. Because remember, man's theology is it's all about something that he has done. There has to be someone to assign blame to. It has to be this reason why. And later on, we find out at the end of the book of Job that even though some of his friends have said the right thing, that God turns and says, you were wrong. And now I'm going to have Job pray for you. They've said the right thing. They've spoken things often that are very true about God, but they did it in the wrong way. Because why? Because we love to have all of the answers to all of the questions. We love to go into difficult situations and throw out very easy answers to very difficult situations. Well, this is the reason why. This is what happened. And all of a sudden, there is no more mystery to God. We could explain everything that there is to know about God. And this is totally contrary to what the Bible tells us. The Bible says that we kind of see through this glass dimly. And so we think that we've got it all figured out. And I tell you what, preachers like myself are the worst for this. We are the worst for going in and saying, oh, well, this is the reason why. This is what's wrong. If you just do A plus B and that's going to equal C and this is why everything. So we have this tendency to want to give really easy answers to very hard problems. And we take out all of the mystery of God. Um, the other day, I was on the beach, and uh, I was hanging out with Justin, and it was really good waves. It was actually last Sunday, and the surf was awesome, and we're just kind of standing on the beach taking a break, and we begin to talk about uh, missions, and I just love taking mission trips. I love going over to other countries, and just um, it's just really exciting to me. And so Justin's talking. He's like, hey, when are you going to take your next trip? And um, I want to go with you. So we're just kind of going back and forth of like, hey, we might go to, might go to Africa or India. I don't know where we're going to go next, but I want to go. And so we're just kind of having this really cool conversation of, of missions. And the next thing you know, this lady that I guess had overheard our conversation comes up to us, and she says, you know, that's great um, that you want to do that, but there's kids right here that needs shoes. And she just like, for the next 10 minutes, just began to rip into us about the kids in Brunswick County that needed shoes. And, and I just said, you know, you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. I know that there's kids that, that need shoes. And so I just agreed with her and let her say what she wanted to say. And um, was she right? Absolutely. 
But you could tell. I, I told Justin five minutes after the lady walked away, I said, you could tell she's never set foot outside of America. She's never stepped among the trash heaps and seen the kids that are scrounging for food and are missing limbs and have sores all over their body and who live day in and day out. And was what she said correct? Yes. Was it the right time? Absolutely not. See, we can say all the right things and have no clue what we're talking about. We could say all the right things and have no clue what we're talking about. There's three important words, I think, as followers of Jesus Christ that we all must learn. I don't know. When someone asks you a question, I don't know. Because there's part of God that no matter how long you've known him and no, how, no matter how much time you've spent with him, he's so much bigger. And no matter how much studying you've done and how many degrees you have, there's still a mystery to God. He still does things that are so unexpected that we can't explain. And things happen in life that I just don't know. I'm sorry that you had to go through this. And sometimes we must find ourselves keeping our mouths shut. Job's friends were the best friends that a person could ask for until they opened their mouth. Sometimes we just need to sit and listen. And whenever they let it all out and say, man, why God, why this? Why can't you just erase this day? Sometimes we just need to sit silent. Because, man, look at all of the pain that they're going through. Lord, forgive me if I've ever been in those moments and offered easy answers to difficult problems. Lord, teach me when to shut my mouth. Because the book of Job is known as a book of wisdom. And this book of wisdom, I think, is teaching us one thing. It's teaching us when to speak and when to remain silent. Because at the end of the book of Job, the Lord answers Job. And Job's answer to God is this. I've heard of you before, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. Once I have spoken, but now I put my hand over my mouth. I've spoke of things that are too great. And Job is a wise man. And what is he saying? He's basically saying, I need to learn when to just shut up. There are moments in your life when you need to learn just to be quiet, just to place our hands over our mouth. This is especially true if you are married. You need to learn when to be quiet. Because here is a little tip for all of you men who are married or who will soon be married. She doesn't want your answers. She already knows the answer. She just wants to let it out. And as a guy, that's not how my brain works. You have a question, so I have an answer. And I'm going to tell you that answer, but apparently she already knows the answer. In that fact, she is just like Jesus. Every time Jesus asks you a question, he already knows the answer to it, just like my wife. 
every time she asks a question, she already knows. Sometimes we just have to learn to sit and listen. To let them, even if what they're saying is, it doesn't matter. They're going through, through something and they're wanting to express themselves. And so the question remains, well, why? Well, why should I even be there if my whole job is just to be quiet? If I'm just supposed to be silent, what good am I doing? And the answer is very simple. We were made to live together. You were made to live together. And God looked at Adam and said, it's not good that he be alone. And it's not just that he needs a wife. It's that he needs relationship. He needs people. He needs someone else to talk to and to share life with. And so we share our lives together. We share joy. And we share all of the excitement and everything that good but we also share the pain, and we also share the suffering, and we also share when everything goes wrong because we're meant to live together. This life is meant to be lived together, the good and the bad. Sometimes we laugh together. Sometimes we cry together. Sadly, sometimes we are the ones that are in pain. Other times, we may be the ones giving the advice. When sometimes we need to just be quiet. We will all find ourselves as travelers on the same journey at some point in our life. Now, if you were with us last week, um, we started a video, um, and it was entitled Ed's Story. And Ed is a pastor in, uh, or he was a pastor in Michigan at a church called Calvary, and it was a rather large church, and Ed came down with ALS. And so we are going to continue seeing part of his story this morning. When you're a pastor, you are expected to connect with people. And I always been good at that loving people helping people caring for people listening to people praying for people but toward the end i'd had enough i didn't want people asking me how i was doing i didn't want to talk to people At Calvary Church, we did communion four Sundays a year. My first service was communion, so I decided that my last service should be communion. I would serve the elders of the church, who in turn would serve the congregation. And toward the end of serving the elders, I was overcome with emotion. I couldn't stand the thought of walking away from what I loved to do. The last few days, I would walk around with my head down because I didn't want people to stop me. 
So I was walking by with my head down, noticed a couple coming in, sped up so I wouldn't see them. And that's when JJ said, can I talk to you? This was my office. And that's when he told me he had just been diagnosed with ALS. Oh, wow. Oh, my. Pictures of JJ. Wow. Shortly after he was diagnosed, he bought a new Corvette and decided, I'm going to drive Route 66 to California. And 13 of his friends said, well, if you're going, we're going. So they went out and bought each of them a new Corvette. And he asked me to go with him. His ALS was called Bulbar, which meant it affected his speaking. So by the time we went on the cruise, he couldn't speak. So I went along as his spokesman. JJ and I had not met until that Sunday at Calvary. And within a week, because we were pilgrims on the same journey, he became one of my best friends. We would go to a coffee shop. I'd order for him and would sit in silence for 30 minutes sipping coffee. And in those moments, I had a deep peace, and I think he did as well. What do you say when you show up with someone who is struggling? And the answer is, show up and shut up. When I meet with people, I simply ask them questions and listen, which for me is critical, just listening. Rod and I have been friends hmm, 25 years. Uh, he ran a restaurant in town uh, where I would often go to eat. And then uh, we hired him here at Calvary. I was at a luncheon four or five months ago, and he leaned over and whispered to me, pray for me. I'm going through a tough time physically. Something's wrong and I don't know what it is. And the next week, he called me and told me it was ALS. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> and 
I said, I am so sorry to hear that. Have you thought about quitting your job? You know, um, I, I have. Um, I'm sort of addicted to the, uh, the work, but I'm not a workaholic. I'm actually lazy, but uh, I'm addicted to work. And um, I know when I, if I don't have a task for the day, I, I stay in bed till 11 o'clock, which is so silly. You know, uh, you know, last summer, I could get up and cut the grass or get on my motorcycle and go for a ride or, you know, do, take my little sports car out, you know, a number of things I could do. But now there's really nothing to do. You know, I, I'm pretty much either stuck at home or stuck in my Prius. If I go to work, you know, there's, I can get free soda. <laughs> and I can make a sandwich, you know, if I want. You know, so, and, you know, if all my friends are there. You know, so um, oh, yeah. I must have been terrible for you to leave. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. But I wanted to leave before people saw me go downhill. Uh, it was very, very hard. Because uh, I love what I did. <clears throat> and leaving it was overwhelming, which I think you feel the same way. I'm not afraid of being dead. It's the getting dead that bothers me. And I think it bothers Rod, it bothered JJ, the getting dead is not pleasant. But as I walk with JJ, he faced it with courage, dignity, and grace. And I'm hoping I can do the same thing. And I'm hoping to pass that on to Rod. I was at JJ's house when he passed away. After I prayed with JJ, his brother and wife, we went out to wait for the funeral people. And she took me in the office and handed me a piece of paper and said, read this. And JJ had willed me his Corvette. I was floored, and he had not told anyone other than his wife he had done it. This is JJ's I actually tried to give it to the family, and they refused. They said, this is what JJ wanted, and you need to take it. I would have gladly given the Corvette back to have J.J. still here. If J.J. were here, he would say, I encouraged him a whole lot more than he encouraged me. 
But the truth is, I found great courage in knowing JJ. And yes, I feel an obligation to pass that on to as many people as possible. Well, why don't we make it first? Thank you very much. Yeah. I'll be real careful. <laughs> Everyone I meet is on a pilgrimage or a journey. And in the providence of God, our paths cross. And I think they cross so we can mutually encourage each other. In retrospect, the random meeting of JJ was a reminder that God was with me, even on the worst of days. We were meant to live life together, the good times and the bad. We have a decision to make when we're in those situations. It could be like friends here on this video that decide we're just going to encourage each other along the way and to sit and to listen to each other's story and to share each other's journey together. Or we can offer easy answers to difficult problems. And so one of the elements that he brought up right at the end that I want to make sure that I really drive home before we close this morning is whenever we are going through pain and suffering, and I know that there's some people here this morning that are feeling that stress it just feels this morning like there's like a big stress this morning. And, and as a pastor, you know, you always want each church service to kind of be that amazing service that you talk about all the time. Uh, but today's just not one of those moments. I you just kind of feel the stress in the room. And the other day, uh, I was walking through Walmart, and um, I ran into this one lady that will remain nameless, but she works at Walmart at the jewelry counter and is sitting in the second row wearing a pink shirt, and people call her Bridget, but she'll remain nameless. But I'm walking through Walmart, and she, she sees me and says, hey, you know, how are you doing? And I just say, hey, doing good. How are you doing? And I'm doing good. And then I just said, you know what? That's a lie. I'm kind of having a bad day. Day really stinks. And then she said, you know what, me too. <laughs> and then it wasn't like five minutes later that we were both just like laughing right there in the middle of Walmart about how bad our days were. And like I walked away just feeling great, you know, just like we shared this moment, you know. You know, and it wasn't like, hey, I'm not trying to offer you advice. You're not trying to offer me. It's just this kind of moment that just... You know, things didn't go away, but it, it just made it better. But so often, whenever we're going through pain and struggle, there's this kind of thing, just like Job did, that we want to get alone. We want to go to the trash pile, 
Um, we want to be by ourselves, and we don't want to talk to anybody, and we don't want anyone to talk to us, and we want to seclude ourselves from everything, and we just want to cry. And we want to do like Job does and throw our hands in the air and say, gosh, if this day would just be erased from the calendars. But there's a reminder this morning that we are never, ever truly alone. That God is right there with us. And though it may feel like your world is falling apart, though it may feel like you've lost everything, and it may feel like God is silent, and he's not saying a word, and the only people that are talking is people that are blaming you for this mess that you're in. Let me remind you, he did not leave you. He is right there with you, and you were made to live this life together with people and with God. And there is a friend that is closer than a brother who sometimes just sits with you and stays silent. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web www.coastalvineyard.org All who are weak All who are weary Come to the rock Come to the fountain all who will sail on rivers of heartbreak come to the sea come on be